I love, I love um, when these are presented, especially when we're using terms like the sticky thingy, because I can so relate to that. I wish, I wish those girls were teaching me art class and showing me some creative stuff when I was growing up. They used other terms, and I just didn't get it. But thingies and squishing, I get that, right? Anyway, let's hear it for our team that's doing such a great job of being creative for our kids and communicating really to all of us. Um, I'm sure that if we took a survey, most of you would say that you get most out of the day uh, on Sundays, whether you're online or in the room, with what's going on with the kids' stuff. So anyway, uh, that, that's true for me too. But I'm going to do the obligatory talk for a few minutes, and I want to talk to you this morning about loving Jesus like Jesus. Love Jesus like Jesus. Sound good? We've got a few weeks left. Um, Easter Sunday will be the last week in this series on connection, and we've been uh, having, a, having a great kind of journey through scripture and through story and through experience, and how many have felt like God has met them in the midst of this? Yeah, there's been times when we've been wrestling with some stuff, and hopefully we can do some more wrestling today. Um, Luke chapter 10, and uh, that's where we want to start out this morning. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, and um, if you want, read this together. Uh, before we do that, I want you to look at somebody near your table or at your table and say, you are so magnetic. I mean, I just felt like that was important. You needed that. And Ron, you are so magnetic. <laughs> yes, you are. You, you all are. I feel your magnetism. You've got it. I can feel it through the uh, internet too, the interwebs. Anyway, on one occasion, um, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? And he replied, Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting because those two portions of scripture, those are two separate pieces of scripture that Jesus had now brought together. So now the teachers of the law have heard Jesus communicate this enough that now they're testing him in what he has done. Jesus, for the first time, brought those two old, what we would know as Old Testament passages together. Now they're repeating it to test him, right? So then Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, then who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, now let's stop there for a minute. So at this point, uh, in order for us to try to absorb what's happening here, what, they, what the Jews had been taught up until this point, that your neighbor, and this was supported by the law and the prophets, as Jesus referred to it, because that's what they, we refer to it as the Old Testament. They would refer to the Old Testament, those scriptures. One of the ways they would refer to it as the law and the prophets. But they considered their neighbor fellow Jews. That was their neighbor. That was kind of their neighborhood. So he wants to test Jesus around this. And Jesus, of course, isn't going to just answer. He's going to give a story that really, really communicates something profound here. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest, happened to be going down at the same down the same road. So this is a temple priest, okay? And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place that he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, everyone say, but a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were considered uh, kind of enemies to the Jews. Just, just leave it at that at this point. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Interesting, he doesn't call him a Samaritan. He can't even say Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, to us, we read this story, we read this parable or this, this account, that, this question really that Jesus asked, like who's the, who's the one doing the right thing? And we are so used to this story and we are so used to kind of approaching it a certain way that we don't see how revolutionary this is, what Jesus is doing here. But this is revolutionary, but it's revolutionary for us as well. And that's what I hope to get into today for all of us. Jesus literally is broadening the world, the expanse of everyone's world in this case. And it's interesting because when Jesus moves into these kinds of moments, the Pharisees, the teachers of the laws, and the Sadducees all retract. They get angry. They, they, they you know, they, this is... One of the reasons why it, Jesus ends up dying on a cross is they get so furious about it. But you'll notice when you read these different accounts, when Jesus is confronting the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, that the people, the general crowd, pay attention to it when you read through the New Testament, uh, when you read through the Gospels, that the people respond with excitement generally. Like, they're, they're like, this just makes good sense to us, right? So this is what's happening. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So um, it's interesting because the test is this. The, he, he kind of, the question that he has is the teacher of the law, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what he's saying is just cut to the chase, give me the bare minimum that I have to do, to have eternal life. Or, in other words, he's essentially saying, what does it take to make God happy? Tell me what it takes to make God happy. You ever wonder that question? So there's a couple of different approaches that Jesus confronts throughout the Gospels that I want to talk to you today that I think God wants to expand our hearts in as well. It's around this issue of how do I keep God happy? How to say that? How do I keep God happy? Now I know that's just a ridiculous question, anyway, right? Like, who knows? And who knows if God, you could even make God happy? I don't know. It's kind of a ridiculous question, but it is the way that the approach is made by the teacher of the law to, to God. Here is how do we make God happy in order to get eternal life, right? So there's a couple of approaches in making God happy. The first one that you see, and maybe some of us fall into this, how do I keep God happy, is we live on the correct side of the line. 
We live on the correct side of the line. This is the sin avoidance approach to God. Like we want to know, and this really is more of an old Testament, Old Covenant kind of way approaching God. We want to know the rules, we want to know what the sins are, and we want to know how we avoid the sins. It's kind of the how low can I go? Where can I find the edge of where I can go? And I'm going to go up to the edge of that because God will be happy if I don't go over the cliff. So we want to know the rules. And when we know the rules... We, we, we start to ask questions. This is where these questions come from, like, is it okay for a Christian to this? Or is this a sin? Now, you do know that the Bible doesn't address a lot of your behavior directly in the Scripture, right? There's a lot of things that you and I do and go on in the world that the, the Scripture certainly indirectly, you know, Jesus, when he says to love God, love your neighbor as yourself, that kind of addresses every question, ultimately, and we'll get into that, but some of the things we want to know specifically, at this point, they had 660-something rules and, and regulations, that was where the edge of the cliff was. People get comfortable, we can get comfortable with this. What this really is, is what is my minimum spiritual requirement? That's what that really is, right? It's like, I want to know for various reasons, what is the minimum I can do to make God happy? Now, um, it's interesting because uh, God is far more affected or uh, interested in how our behavior affects other people than God is concerned about us like walking up to the edge of things, right? But this is what this teacher of the law is essentially saying. He's saying, okay, where's the line? Where are the lines that are drawn? And how can I go up to that place? Instead of being extravagant in my love toward God and extravagant in my love toward other people and extravagant in gratitude about what God's actually done in my own life, that's not what the concern is. What the concern is, I want to please God. And the thinking becomes, I please God by following the rules. Now, we'll talk about, we'll talk about uh, the boundaries and the goodness of guardrails. Of course God wants boundaries and guardrails in our life. But it's not about simply just following those things. It's human nature to want to know exactly what's okay and not okay. This is, this is just human nature, right? We want to know that. Um, because part of the reason, though, uh, is because we want to snuggle up as close as we can to what is not okay with not doing what is not okay, right? That's, that's how our kids behave, but that's how you and I behave at times, too. Now, I'm telling you this because I'm telling you this because this has happened in my own life. These kinds of things happen in my own life. Like, um, we do that because we want to know what's off limits, but we sure as heck don't want to miss out on anything that is within the limits, right? It reminds me when I was in high school, I had, I was surrounded by Christian friends. I think God just put them all on assignment and thought, this guy's going to need a lot of help. I was not a Christian yet, but it seemed like all of my friends were Christians. And I used to laugh with them about some of this stuff because I had one friend, his name was Tim, and Tim went to a church, no music. They sang a cappella, uh, I would call it, and my kids would call it acapoco. You'd sing a cappella, no musical instruments, because the musical instruments were somehow 
dishonoring of God, or I would joke and say, is it like of the devil if you pulled out a guitar? And honestly, it was like, yeah, you just can't do that. But we would get in Tim's car, and Tim loved ACDC. He loved like Ted Nugent, like the harder, the better, the, the crazier, you know, that's how old I am. That was, yeah, that was a long time ago. But anyway, the louder, and I would laugh, I'd say, so let me get this right. It's okay for us to get in your car and like freak out to the music, but heaven help us if we go in and pull out a flutophone in church. And it, he says, well, that's just how it is. And he, he had scriptural context for it. He had the rules. And it was, I can get close enough to the edge here. Because, of course, I, he loved it. I didn't like ACDC, but he really did. And he would play it like mad. And it would be like, that was an example of, okay, so somehow it's a sin to play the flutophone in church when you're in worship. And we would laugh around that kind of stuff because he wanted to go to the edge. And I, I, I saw that happen. I had another friend that his thing wasn't so much music. His thing was girls. Like, he really liked girls. And some of my Christian friends would say, they all liked girls, but some of my Christian friends would say, you know, uh, don't be unequally yoked. So it was like that meant you couldn't go out with a girl that wasn't a Christian. However you determine that, right? And I get all that wisdom. I get that stuff. And, um, but this guy, he seemed to be, he was an evangelist. So he would, Jeff would try to snuggle up to every girl that he could. I remember we were playing baseball in eighth grade and we'd get on the bus and there was this one girl, she was our scorekeeper. She was actually a grade higher than us. And to this day, I joke around with my friend who I talked to around. This is one of the, th- the recurring things that would come up. And uh, this girl had a boyfriend who wasn't on the baseball team. And Jeff would really snuggle up to her and befriend her and evangelize her. And I would, I'd get off the bus and I would say, what in the world are you doing? Like, I, you know, I'm a heathen. I get that that's wrong what you're doing. And he's like, no. And he'd give me like scripture passages and it generally led back to somehow he was, you know, sharing Christ with her. And there were behaviors that he couldn't cross the line. And so long as he stayed on this side of the line, it was okay. So you can have a good time. You can have a blast. Just don't cross the line. Now listen, of course boundaries and guardrails are important. They're critical. However, the issue is what is the motivation in setting up these boundaries and guardrails? My friends had boundaries and guardrails that I, I really thought were great. I thought they were wonderful. And to this day, I believed a lot of the stuff that they talked about. But at times, the motivation was simply just trying to follow the rules instead of the motivation being loving God and loving other people. Because I didn't find that it was really loving for my friend to be snuggling up to somebody else's girlfriend. No matter how far that went, you understand? So what is the motivation? It's not just about following rules. The second thing is how there's another approach that I think Jesus addresses consistently, and it's this approach of the go deep approach. Now, the interesting thing about both of these approaches is they both have a lot of wisdom, right? We, we get boundaries. We, 
we're, we're Christ followers. Jesus sets up a bunch of boundaries. He communicates a lot of things that he just says, stay away from that essentially, right? Or do that thing. And that's a boundary in itself or a guardrail. There's wisdom in that, but it's the heart motivation. What is your heart about when you're moving into these things, trying to stay as close to following the rules as possible? Is it more important that our heart is about what Jesus is communicating. Is it more important for our heart to be open to loving God, loving other people, and loving ourselves? Or is it more important to follow the rules? So Jesus is addressing this with this guy. And then there's this other place that he's going to address with them and with us how to keep God happy. It's this go deep approach. Now this one really seems holy, right? Because we all know that on the surface, it's important for us to draw near to God. There's this admonition. How do I love God if I don't draw near to God? How close to God can I get? So that's a pursuit that is totally, totally in the realm of loving God and loving other people. Get closer to God. Pursue God with your whole heart. However, when, when we pursue God and we draw near to God, drawing near to God is critical, but if my drawing near makes me less tolerant and more judgmental, I'm simply missing the point. So if my studying of Scripture, if my pursuit of God, if, if my praying, if my coming into a worship service is creating a deeper level, if my studying, and one of the things you'll find when you pursue this kind of deepness, you know, of course you should be deep in your faith. But when you're depth, a lot of times it'll be people will begin to study like certain authors or certain leaders, and they get into a theology that you can become more and more critical, more and more intolerant. Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm after. I'm after you loving me, loving other people, and loving yourself. If you're becoming more intolerant and more judgmental toward people, the people that God created you and I to love even more, there's a problem with our approach. A sign that we might be operating by this principle or living in this zone would be something like if I'm becoming more, more of a prosecutor than a neighbor. If I find that my tendency is to prosecute or to try to build a case against people or to try to, to try to just hedge them out some way, I might be falling into this go deep approach and the depth, what I think is growing in Christ, literally is separating me from the humanity that God called us to love into his kingdom. Somebody loved you enough not to persecute you or prosecute you. Somebody loved me enough. Somebody became my neighbor enough, or many people became my neighbor enough as a Christ follower to love me into the kingdom. Those friends that I'm talking about, they were critical in that process. Under this kind of thinking, we do business with God, but somehow we think it's okay to hold ought or to even avoid. In other words, if I go to God and I repent... I'm going deep with God, right? I go to God. And of course, I'm supposed to love God more than I love people, although Jesus really never says that. But I, I go to God, and I do business with God. I repent. I make things right. But I still hold ought against the very people that I've repented for my attitude about. I go to the grocery store, and I avoid them. I don't want to see them. 
because we think, I sin against God, so I ask God to forgive me, and everything that would be, that, that somehow mystically that makes everything between you and I okay, even though I haven't done anything to make the problem I have with you okay. Like somehow it just disappears that I'm a jerk to you. That I can still have a bad attitude toward you, but hey, I did business with God. Jesus totally connects humanity and approaching our neighbor with approaching God. Love for God and love for neighbor are inextricably bound when it comes to Jesus. Some people under this group have a hard time with the whole concept of loving themselves or you loving yourself. Somehow there's this twisted belief that because you and I are sinners, because we are, that we're to hate the very existence of our life. And to, to make a statement like, love yourself, is so humanistic, they feel. Those are Jesus' words. When, when Paul talks about if you, or when Jesus, let's go to Jesus. When Jesus says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. He's not talking about actually hating who you are. God created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. It has to do with putting off that old person, putting off that old stuff, those sin behaviors, but it has nothing to do with the way God sees you in God's eyes. So pay attention. Which leads to where Jesus really takes this. So Jesus and several occasions has these conversations. It's multiple times, I'm sure, that Jesus has these conversations, written and unwritten, because it's clear now. If you want to love God, if you want to honor God, if you want to know how to make God happy, love God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get to the end, near the end of Jesus' life. He's in the upper room. He's getting ready to have the Last Supper. He's in the midst of it. He's making his last statements that he'll make before he gets crucified. He's already washed the feet of the disciples. And instead of thinking, how can I make God happy, which is kind of just a posturing of rule following, It's how do I make a connection with God's happiness, the joy of God. And Jesus boils it down. This is where it, this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is where we find out how we love Jesus and we love like Jesus. In John 13, 34, starting with 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you you. Let's read this together. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Now listen, imagine what's happening here. We're in the upper room. They're going through the Last Supper, and the disciples are hearing this. People like Matthew is hearing this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, this, don't miss it, as I have loved you. So Jesus literally is taking this statement that they've been living into and listening to and paying attention about loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself, and now Jesus narrows it down even more. He says, a new command I give you. He's trying to simplify it as much as he can for us. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. I want you to think for a minute, for a moment about being in that room, and I want you to think about a person like Matthew, who was a tax collector, and what must have been going through Matthew's mind. As Jesus said, I want you to remember how I loved you, and that's how I want you to love people. And Matthew thinking about sitting at that tax collector booth that day when Jesus approached and how much he was despised by the Jews and other people that he was really stealing from and how God loved him. Jesus loved him through that and how his life in an instant began to change and the different moments in Matthew's life. I want you to think about Peter being on, on a boat fishing, doing his occupation, and then one day Jesus comes and says, come on, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. I'm going to take what you are, the, the gifts that you have, and you're going to live an adventure like you've never lived it before. And I'm thinking about what in the world that must have felt like to a person like Nathaniel, who when he met Jesus said, what in the world good comes out of Bethlehem? How can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus, he knew, Jesus stayed with him and was patient with him and loved him. And I want you to think about your own story. And I want you to think about how has Jesus loved you? How has Jesus been there when you have moved into realms where you needed the patience and grace of God? where you needed the generosity and how God may have touched your life through the lives of other people, other neighbors, how God met you in a place of grief and pain and somehow brought you comfort, whether it was through other people or just supernaturally God moved into your life. I remember, I'll remember, I I have, I, I did this practice myself last night and in about five minutes, I couldn't stop writing. I, just, I had to stop writing. I'm like, I'm just going to be consumed by this practice. Of times I know I felt the love of God. And the first one that came to my mind was after our son Paul had died and I was in my office. This was back when we lived in Melvindale and I was in my office and I was reading and I was praying and I was worshiping and all of a sudden it felt... I can still feel it today. It felt like God entered the room. The Holy Spirit was so tangibly present and I began to weep and I began to laugh because I could just feel the goodness of God just washing over me, taking my pain, encouraging me and admonishing me and just say, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you through this. I went upstairs and Claire and Sarah, 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 Sarah said, 
dad, she said this to, Sarah was very little, she said this to Claire, she said, dad is crazy down there. He's laughing and crying at the same time because they could hear. They were upstairs. How has God loved you? And however God has loved you, you go love people the way God has loved you. That's what Jesus says. All the boundaries and the guardrails and all the pursuit of God, all of that will continue in your life and mine. But you just get busy paying attention to how God loves you. And then you and I just need to go love people like we've been loved. So that's the question. You got little papers, maybe you want to jot this down. Maybe begin to list as we go into communion. How has God loved you? Just think about it. Think about encounters or moments where you knew you felt the love of God. these remembrances of the ways that you've reached out to us. That when our 
heart was broken or our heart was hard or our heart was cold or we were heartbroken or heart sick. Somehow you made our hearts come alive. Somehow there was a word or a person or scripture. Some way that you woke our heart up. And that it wasn't about anything but being loved in that moment about receiving love and maybe even today it's hard for some of us to receive your love that it's always been about rules or it's always been about a line or about reading scripture for information instead of being transformed by the love of God our story. Think of the story of the love of God coming and meeting with us. Don't just eat bread today, friends. Let's become present to the presence of the love of God. That the body of Christ broken for us. That we would become present to your presence even now, Jesus, that this is our story that you gave your own life. You broke bread. You gave thanks, knowing what was ahead because you knew the story that was behind and you knew the story that would be the future. You gave thanks and you said, this is my body, take, eat. 
every time you come together, do this in remembrance of me. And can you say with me, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus. And could you say, Jesus, I'm remembering my story. supper was ended, Jesus lifted up the cup and gave thanks, looking at the disciples and their stories of how they had broken hearts and dead hearts and cold hearts and proud hearts and hard hearts, how they were heart sick. He remembered their stories and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant to love one another as I have loved you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This cup of the new covenant is for you and for all people. The shedding of my blood is for the forgiveness of your sins, the ways you've missed the mark, the ways your hearts have been dead. And every time you drink it, remember me. Together, friends, let's say, Jesus, we remember you. And Jesus, as I drink it, I'm remembering the story of the new covenant, the new command, and the love you have for me. Together we drink.
this new command. Oh God, if there's ever a scripture we want to embody, it is this one. That we would love one another as you have loved us. And so I bless my friends today in the name of the Father who so loved that you gave the Son. And in the name of the Son who said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns in these temples, not made with human hands. Let us bring the presence of love in this world, God, and may we heal the brokenhearted and strengthen the weak-hearted and convict the proud-hearted with the love of God. And it's in Jesus' name that everybody who wants that says amen. Can you all say amen? Right? sing amen. 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 On Monday. Go on out the door now. Bring the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Preach it, Jeff. Go ahead. Have an awesome week.